0: Rachel Meadle from Talking With Tech.
1: And I'm Chris Bougay from Talking With Tech.
0: We have a podcast dedicated to augmentative and alternative communication, all things related to helping kids with complex communication needs.
1: If you have a passion for helping people with language disabilities, this is the show for you. Each episode features an interview or a roundtable discussion on a topic related to augmentative communication and helping people with language disabilities.
0: And we're really passionate about giving practical strategies to clinicians working in the field who are working with children or adults Anything related
2: to AAC. So you can
1: look us up on iTunes or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a group over there or check out our website at bit.ly/slash TWT podcast.
0: Please join our community of professionals that are working to ensure that everyone can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it.
3: Please listen carefully.
0: What is communication?
3: An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster enough. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each
1: other.
0: Communication is a
4: lifeline. It's just connection with other people, connecting people in terms of ideas, thoughts, or needs. It draws us out of ourselves. Draws us into that relationship. You know, builds up our families without any loss. Whatever it is that we do to express intent
2: and achieve an impact.
4: Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants frustrations and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information.
1: Welcome to Speech Science Episode 90. Proud members of the Exceptional Podcast Network. I'm Matt Hot. Excited, as always, to be bringing it to you with the person in bourbon country, Michelle Wintering. How's it going, Matt? It is great here. All the way out in Philadelphia, <laughs> there's Michael McLeod. What's up, buddy? Hey, man, are you watching the Eagles right now as we record? I am not an Eagles fan. I know. I just thought I'd ask. He always
2: asks. Absolutely not.
1: (laughs) And we have a guest host. uh, I figured episode 90, we might as well bring it back to the four person show, at least every now and then, all the way out in Seattle. Uh, Julie Fector. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, Julie. Hey, guys.
4: Or sorry. Hey, y'all. (laughs)
1: y'all right there was a conversation about that but that won't be what we're talking about today Julie so welcome to the show and I hope you survive all the way through I hope you all survive me (laughs) let's
2: just be honest here
4: (laughs) where did you say you're located Julie uh in beautiful Seattle Washington oh
2: awesome Pacific Northwest
4: absolutely I have a tree tattoo and everything and I compost recycle and my trash can is a third of the size of my recycling bin.
1: (laughs) I am all about that. Sounds good. Mm. Before we get to all that, we want to hear from you. Make sure you head over to our website, SpeechSciencePodcast.com. That'll direct uh, directly link you to all of our friends over at the XPN Network. Also, make sure you head over to Patreon.com slash Podcast. And, of course, we want you to text message us or call us 614-681-1798 or email Podcast at gmail.com. Or if you want to talk to Michelle and Michael directly, hashtag SSPod on the Uh, Instagrams, and I guess I monitor Twitter at some point? I don't know. Question mark? Maybe? Question mark. (laughs) Let's do a quick how our weeks were, and then we'll get into this show, because this is an action-packed show. Also, on this show, I got to sit down with the two rare Mama Bears. Uh, They have a Cure CMD podcast. That is Matt Manley and Megan Meyer. They both have uh, children with CMD. That was a pretty awesome interview that'll be playing during the middle of the show. Guys, my week has been Rechanging all my therapy schedules, and my sons and I started our uh, march to fatness as we uh, try to conquer the donut trail of Butler County of Ohio. <laughs> so that was my week in a nutshell. Uh, we'll start with our guest, Julie. How has your week been?
4: Oh, well, I've been working at a hospital all this week, and I did my first MBS in 10 years. So, oh, nice. Yeah, it was, it was super exciting but also terrifying and uh you know, I, like handing someone barium with your hand shaking Poor patient was like, are, are are you a speech pathologist? Like what's going on? here? <laughs> but,
1: yeah. the, the last MBS I saw was my son getting an MBS cookie and I had to do everything I could not to jump in and and interfere with anything.
4: <laughs> Yeah. Other than that, um, well, I mean, it's. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into. You know, it's been a little dramatic, but that's also just my life. I'm a very dramatic person,
1: so. Drama <laughs> is good. With more drama and bourbon, I don't know if you've got drama at all, Michelle, but you've got a young child, so drama follows those of us with kids. How is the bourbon? How is baby speech science?
2: Uh, the bourbon tastes good, and baby speech science is close to running at this point. He's walking all over the moves, place, man. so our, our life has changed. But um, it's been a pretty chill week. I know when I talked to you guys last week, we'd gotten back from vacation, so it's just the adjustment back into the real world and the getting back into a routine.
1: So there you go, nothing too crazy here. Nice, and Michael, what's going on on the private practice side?
3: I've um, been <laughs> attending tons of uh, IEP meetings, Get uh, advocating for a lot of my students I see in my clinic. Uh, So I've been going to tons of meetings, been going back and forth, starting with a lot of new kids at a lot of new schools, uh, caseload's getting huge. So I've been doing doing a lot of work uh, on that side. So uh, just trying to really manage the load for the beginning of the year. Awesome. All right. Well, on
1: today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about therapy horses and what is our exact role in executive functioning. But I thought we'd start on the light topic of (laughs) patient-driven payment model PDPM. It goes into effect. uh, We're recording here September 15th. It goes into effect in about 16 days. Uh, Overall, the idea is, is that Medicare wants us to shift the way we reimburse our services. So instead of seeing a patient for... 35 minutes and getting paid for the 35 minutes this is of course in skilled nursing facilities uh we would uh get paid based off of how bad the patient looks on check-in so if we can check off more boxes guess what we might get more reimbursement this is a great thing right guys Oh, are you
2: catching what's that quote from the movie? I think it's Tommy Boy, right? Where he's like, "Are you catching the sarcasm cuz I'm laying it on pretty thick?" Uh, I don't know.
1: <laughs> it could be good, right? It would be
2: Now,
4: in like a perfect world, or, you know.
1: Now, Julie, well, you work Julie? you work in skilled you you PRN in skilled nursing, is that correct? Yes, I do. So, break I've only done a couple PRNs and by PRN, I mean once every 10 months in a in a sniff and i'm asked to go see patients and i write up my little four sentence soap note and i get out of there with my 60 percent uh rate of work rate or whatever they call it in there product what yeah productivity what uh exactly is this looking like for someone such as yourself who is working or going to be working in the sniffs
4: Um, Well, I'm lucky enough that um, I'm only PRN, right? So I'm not getting texts from DORs telling me, hey, you have to do groups. Hey, you have to do this. Hey, this is going on. Um, So I'm not 100% sure what it's going to look like for PRN therapists because I know that they're being pushed to do groups. And I'm just trying to imagine showing up at a facility and having four patients and and having to put them together in one group and trying to figure out what's actually going to be functional, what's good. So, I mean, the last time I was working full-time PRN in a facility, I walked in and I was given 23 minutes, 27 minutes, 29 minutes, 17 minutes. And I mean, that's not very good, obviously.
1: So. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, how do you do group therapy in a sniff? Well, like you just wheel them all down to the same cafeteria center and just do flashcards.
4: Well, says
1: the school-based SLP who does groups of six all the time, but.
4: (laughs) Well, I mean, here's the thing you have to pray to God that you show up and they're not going to the bathroom or they're not, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, need to be cleaned up by a CNA. And if they're not in bed, And then you, it depends if you have a rehab tech or not. And most likely nowadays they don't have rehab techs. So you're the one who's spending those, who knows 15, 20 quote unquote unproductive minutes trying to get these people to their group. So then you have to go show up. Hopefully they're sitting in their wheelchair and like, yeah, let's do this. I love group therapy, but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's happened like once in my I don't know, because I was full-time in a SNF for a long time, um, years. And then you have to go to the next person. You have to bring them all in. And I've done some good groups where um, I had some aphasia patients, which I thought was really good. Uh, But there's also kind of the controversy that you might not be able to bill dysphagia groups. And Oh, really? Yeah. So there's 92508 and that's technically not for dysphagia at all which i didn't know when i worked full time in a sniff
1: i would think that like dysphagia would be the easier one to bill and therapeutize in a group
2: you would think because so. i have seen that done with groups of you yeah. know in the lunchroom mm-hmm. at least with pairs yeah and I, you can do dysphagia
4: concurrent pretty easily except with med b okay yeah, dysphagia groups have to be like a different code, and I mean, they can be the easiest because trying to do cog therapy in a group, um, if you're not OT, where you can get them up and get them cooking, things like that, uh, it's difficult because not everyone wants to, I mean, are you going to do goal, plan, do, review with four different people on the same topic?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The American Occupational Therapy Association, the American Physical Therapy Association, and the American Speech-Language Hearing Association have released a consensus statement on clinical judgment in healthcare settings, the AOTA, APTA, and ASHA, Uh, and basically it's saying, hey— Do your best to stay as ethical as possible. And if you think that something has gone wonky, uh, contact the facility. Immediately stop the questionable practice. Contact your professional. And when appropriate, consider reporting them to CMS or OIG. Really?
4: I have thoughts about that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's my overall concern. And, Michael, have you ever worked in a SNF? I have not. Okay, so we're all just kind of talking Greek at this point, aren't we? Yeah, pretty much.
3: Yeah, it sounds really bad.
1: Well, if you've got something, feel free. But I know this is kind of outside that. Here's my overall concern: working. I've worked for some great companies, and I've worked for some scrup, unscrup, unscrupulous companies, and. I could totally see them trying to check mark those boxes. According to Ash's website, uh, the primary do- diagnosis, along with one of 12 co- uh, comorbidities, co- I can't say that. The speech therapist can't talk today. Comorbidities, including aphasia, CVI, TIA, stroke, hemiplegia, or hemiparesis, TBI, uh, tracheostomy, uh, blah, 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 apraxia, dysphagia, ALS, oral cancer, speech and language deficits, we already are in trouble of nurses that I get with home care sometimes of just checking boxes. Are so we going to just is, check boxes on in, on intake? Who
2: is checking this in? The SLP or an intake Usually nurse it's the, staff?
1: It's, in, it's like the nursing people that bring them in, right?
4: Mm-hmm. Well, and they also um, – I'm not sure about this one. Uh, the BIMs, have you heard of that? The brief interview of um, – mm-hmm something. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're brief interview, mental status, maybe. And I believe social work or nursing used to be able to do it, but now they want speech to do it and bill for it as part of their, part of their e I've seen, Ooh. yeah, I've seen people being asked to do that. I go, I spend a lot of time on Facebook groups <laughs> and that's what they're having to do. And I don't know if you've ever seen the bins, but it's, it's pretty easy. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, the date the month and then towel blue ball and they have to remember the towel blue ball and there might be something else so well i mean i've just heard of things where someone has said if someone scores above a 12 on the bims we're not going to be allowed to treat them for cognition
2: Ooh. and that and it's really i think just
1: supposed to be a screener right
2: yeah not saying wow this person is lovely you can go home and drive
4: you know like mm-hmm that
1: yeah here i'm looking at the bins right now you're right it's the three words are sock blue and red how many times do they need it repeated then there's temporal orientation and then recall the three words and then that's it i mean hmm. almost
4: everybody can do that you know mm-hmm. i think it's out of 15 right yep so if you forget to recall the three words that delayed recall you would be ineligible to get any kind of cognitive therapy as long as you know Date and you can immediately recall the
1: three. So, for those of you not familiar with the BIMS, uh, you need to identify the correct year. If you get it right on the nose, you get three points. If you miss it by a year, you get two. You miss it by two to five years, you get one, and you have zero if you miss it completely by more than five years. You get it uh, zero points. Me, I've worked with uh, d- uh, dementia patients and most dementia patients know what year it is unless they've got alzheimer's or lewy body syndrome
4: mm-hmm. well and i mean i don't know about you all but i feel bad asking older folks the um the date nowadays because i was traveling for a year and a half and sometimes i woke up and i didn't know what country i was in to be 100 percent honest i didn't know the date the month i it was like I for sometimes I thought I woke up and I was at my parents' house in California. So, and I mean, I'm obviously not, I don't have dementia. Mm-hmm.
2: We talked about that, I think, on an, another podcast. But when you're on vacation or you are out of your daily routine, if when people are retired, they have a hard time remembering the date. I know, you know, my friend's dad purposely got a watch that had the date on it because of that when he <laughs> retired. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: You know what, though, guys? I mean, this is still coming down the line, so we either stand there and get run over on the tracks or how do we make this work in our situation? Because I could see a director of rehab saying, hey, mark every box you can because we don't want something missed, but I feel like that's still going to be unethical when we come in to try to treat you know, little Sally with dysphagia because she coughs because she also is allergic to everything in our unclean skilled nursing facility but well
2: and are those going to then be my my follow up would be will those sort of claims be denied down the road because they have they're slapped with a bunch of of labels to rack up that bill
4: but also is medicare going to be able to regulate this like they think they are because have you seen how little they have to pay back to medicare they mm-hmm. they commit 300 million dollars of fraud and they have to pay back 10%. Like, companies don't care. That's overall, you still make $290 million. Hmm. So I can, you
2: know that that can you say that again? Because <laughs> I, I wasn't aware of that. Can you say that again? Um. Well, there's a
4: there's one particular lawsuit I'm thinking about because the therapist who was the whistleblower is in a geriatric group. And she posts all the time about this, which I'm not saying that in a bad way. I think it's... Right and it's it was signature healthcare i think maybe in tennessee and i think 339 million dollars i mean i could be off obviously and they ended up having to pay back 33 million hmm. oh, it's a numbers game and it doesn't matter if they're pressuring people to commit these this fraud because they end up on top so is medicare going to going to be able to come into Every single facility and say, oh no, you gave this one patient that one week, thirty-three percent group. How dare you?
1: Whoa! I, I just pulled up there the the story on this. So out of Tennessee, you're right. It was two hundred and forty-four million dollars of fraud. They have to pay back. Uh, prompted a signature to sign a thirty million dollar settlement to resolve the claims. Uh, and they think it was actually larger than 244, but 244 is all they can actually officially identify. And it was because they were giving strange demands, such as giving a patient seven, exactly 77 minutes of therapy, a gravely ill patient doing four hours of therapy in one day and performing hours and hours of therapy a day, every day, no matter what, even if it wasn't medically necessary.
4: And I mean, I'm just going to be honest. Whoa. Right. Well, I've worked in for a long time and I'm just, I'm going to be honest right now, there is fraud going on with therapists every single day and probably every single sniff in this country. I, I would be willing to stand behind that. and Or not necessarily fraud, or therapists still committing illegal acts of working off the clock, not taking their breaks, working through their lunch, billing for um, paperwork at Medicare. Damn, I'm going to like never be able to work
1: again. <laughs> no, 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 you'll be fine. No, but like, I think you're
2: going to be relatable to a lot of people listening,
1: (laughs) but like, no, legit. I was working for a company and I got this email that said, and I do home care PRN. I I worked for like, at one point I worked for nine or 10 different home care companies at one time. I was kind of being shuffled around based on where patients were. And there was an email that came across that said, you know, minimal, see your patients for 30 to 35 minutes for billing, but please don't start the timer until you show up at their door. Please don't start the timer when you leave your previous patient's house. Mm-hmm. Because people were starting their timer when they left their other patient, counting the 25 minutes of drive time. By the time you take vitals, now you're at 35 minutes logging off and then going to the next patient.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, and I'll just be honest, because I currently work home health as well, and my home health company is great. I just wanna free, just say that really loudly. I love keep Julie hired
1: top. hashtag
4: it's lovely <laughs> honestly I would work for them full time if they had a job for me they are great um but I mean I've I've heard of horrible things at home are you going to talk about PDGM um in a few months? I, I
1: I don't know what PDGM is
4: that's home health um cutbacks just like SNF
1: are they making those changes too yes I will come back <laughs> this is the episode where Matt realizes his job is in danger <laughs> yeah no know. yeah so what do we do from here do we just I don't even know what to say to this yeah go
4: <laughs> raising my hands put me in coach <laughs> well and that's I'm, I'm gonna bring up why I said this week was really dramatic um because on Friday uh did you see my post in the geriatric group just saying hey is anyone does anyone know a reporter who works in healthcare? and then I put it on my own Facebook page after that post got shut down because someone wasn't being nice. I'm not saying it was me. Nice, <laughs> um and I, a girl I went to BYU with is a healthcare reporter in D.C., and so I have spent the past, I don't even know, 40 hours. I was on the bus drinking, you know, a White Claw, about to go to clear line <laughs> dancing with my friends, and sending her, you know, all this information, all what's going on. I think exposing what's going on for people who are master's level therapists. We, I mean, I didn't go to school for seven years to be treated like a child and to be told what to do with my patients. To be told when I go. people have to,
1: are are being told to clock out to pee. But no. So (laughs) contacting people are now is any, are you, Am I allowed to say this? I've heard there may or may not be pay cuts for some people.
4: Oh yeah, I um I got an email this week from my PRN job, three uh, percent with no. Hey, guess what? What do you think about this? It just said, "Well, um, let me directly quote it." It said, "Thank you for this sacrifice." <laughs>
1: I mean, I can I can pull it up. Um (laughs) thank you for the sacrifice. I love that. I and that
2: goes into effect strictly because of this, obviously. mm -hmm.
1: You like your this sacrifice
4: is going to lead to better care for your patients. Oh nope, that's nine eleven stuff.
1: Oh no, I could not do that with with a pay cut and saying that it's gonna lead to better because I'm gonna hate my job more.
4: Yeah, it says we recognize the impact that this has on you and your families. However, this sacrifice will ensure blank stability through the transition, and is the most effective way to minimize the impact on our loyal staff while continuing to provide quality care to our residents. Now, I want to know if the loyal staff, um, aka the CEO of the business, is getting a 3% pay cut. Are the managers getting a 3% pay? Are the accountants, are the people who go through and read all of our subject? Why is it only the therapists? who are getting these 3% pay cuts when we're the ones who are actively helping these people get better and get back to their lives.
1: I got nothing for that.
3: Michelle, Mike? I'm just waiting on that EF article. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, Oh my gosh. All right. We want to hear from you at home. We are going to have to cut that off there and we will come back after the break. You're listening to Speech Science.
0: Idea for a product or book or are you ready to go beyond in-service presentations well how do you get started and what if you don't have any business experience at all well I have some great news for you I'm Mailing Chan and I'm getting the nitty-gritty stories from parents teachers therapists, advocates and people with disabilities who have created successful businesses and they're sharing their intimate stories with you Listen to us on the Exceptional Leaders Podcast and fast-track creating and building and sharing your idea with the world so that you can help more people.
1: Welcome back to Speech Science. I'm Matt Hot, joined today by the hosts of Two Rare Mama Bears, the Cure CMD podcast, uh, Megan Meyer and Maddie Manley. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you for having us, Matt.
1: So hello, hello hello so a little goofy thing we met each other through one of the podcasting groups and it was like oh we should all try to interview each other and we've been trying to do this since may we're or, or almost the end of may we're recording this in the middle of july and this will probably air in august so got to love the world of podcasting where it all kind of runs together right
5: well <laughs> life happens
1: <laughs> so Let's start off with your show, the Two Rare Mama Bears podcast. What started you guys to want to put your lives out there for people to listen and learn from?
0: Um, So that always gets me every time because um, I'm Maddie and talking to people is not my go-to comfort zone by any means, um, but I have this awesome friend, Megan, who on a daily basis inspires me to step outside my comfort zone. <laughs> um, and the podcast idea is kind of her brainchild, and um, she got us going while we were on a trip together in Washington, DC. Yeah, <clears throat> we
5: went and did Rare Disease Week on Capitol Hill in 2018, also this year in 2019, but in 2018, we walked away from that event wanting to be able to do more within our community and trying to figure out a way just to continue to give back. Um, and we knew we weren't writers. Um, and we knew we had a voice and that we could connect to each other and connect to others. And so um, she and I experienced, we call it the travel day of hell trying to get back home uh, i'm in iowa and maddie is west coast um she was actually trying to get to san diego for a family event and there was a nor'easter coming through and it was just it was not good it was literally planes trains and automobiles in like 24 hours of hell and in the midst of all of that there was podcast listening that was he- happening and in maddie's lack of sleep i kind of capitalized on it and i looked at her and i go hey we should do a podcast. (laughs) And she looked back at me and she was kind of looking at me like I was a little bit crazy, but then at the same time just went, okay. And I'm not sure she knew what she was getting herself into, but
0: no, I don't think (laughs) I did.
5: Both of our husbands are tech savvy. So, you know, we got back to our um, homes and decompressed a little bit and then looped them into it. And then within a week or 10 days, the four of us were chatting about how we were going to get this ball rolling. Chatting about how we were going to get the ball rolling and started to make it happen. And so about six weeks after that, we were launched.
1: That's pretty awesome. I'm looking at your website and I love... And we're going to talk more about CMD here in just a moment. But I love how you guys introduce yourselves on the show and on your website as a mom to an adorable son with a congenital muscular dystrophy and a mom to a sweet girl with congenital muscular dystrophy. Uh, and I love how that sets the tone. I just was listening to the episode. Uh, I think it was with Patrick, who was uh, up in New York, somewhere up in New York for college. I lived there for a year and I cannot pronounce any of the cities or the colleges up there, Kinesis. Canisius. Kinesis. But I love how you guys tell stories uh, about CMD, and I guess that's kind of why I'm inviting you on here. Uh, We're a podcast directly talking to speech and language pathologists and their families, and and your story is a story we want to tell, so welcome. (laughs) How's that for the longest intro of nothingness, right?
5: It works, it It works. (laughs) our CMD community, uh, many of the individuals within it have or are currently working with speech and language pathologists. So it's totally relevant.
1: <laughs> now, did you guys have any history with SLPs with your uh, son and daughter?
5: Yes. So yeah, we both did. Yes.
1: At what, how, if you're okay sharing, how old are, is your son and how old is your daughter?
0: Matthew is five, almost six, um, and he started speech um, as an infant, uh, because he had a lot of oral problems with eating and everything, and so he started at four months.
5: And Lily is eight, and she started speech and early intervention at two and a half, and she's been doing it ever since, so still currently at age eight.
1: How uh, how far along in pregnancy or or post pregnancy post pregnancy birth uh, did you realize that there was CMD and how did they diagnose that for you or or, your daughter? My daughter was three and a half when she was diagnosed. Okay.
0: And Matthew was about two and a half when he was diagnosed. Is
1: that a pretty common time frame? That two and a half, three month, three year thing? Did you say month or year? I apologize. Year. 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 Is that a pretty common? two and a half, three years at diagnosis?
0: I don't think for diagnosis necessarily it is. Um, definitely a lot of parents start to notice different signs that something is going on. Um, many of our community members go eight, 10, 15, 20 some years um, without an official diagnosis or a misdiagnosis.
1: Okay. So then you're just... I guess, treating symptoms at that point without knowing the disorder? Yes. Okay, okay. Um, So your your son and your daughter have been in therapy for a few years now. Are you noticing any improvement and how's that working or or are we throwing the SLPs under the bus?
0: (laughs) Matthew has not been in speech for two years now. Um, And part of that is because of lack of a number of therapists in our area um, has moved, and so we have not been set up with another one. Um, a lot of focus for just kind of where he is developmentally with physically has been focused on OT and PT, um, and speech will co- probably, according to his ther- uh, other therapists and doctors, will come around again in a different cycle when different parts of him are growing and everything. So. Okay. Megan is more currently in that realm than we are.
5: Um, Lily most definitely has had many gains in speech. Uh, she still has more. She needs to go. Um, so we would not throw SLPs under the bus. We love them. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, so, you know, we've walked the line between private speech and school-based speech and who has what goal and, you know, who's on what base and I'm trying, to, a- trying to keep um, both parties informed and trying to ensure that she's getting um, the proper level of services that she needs. Um, but she's most definitely seen gains. Um, the type of congenital muscular dystrophy our kids have is sep in one. And so those kids historically have high arch palate and really super nasally speech. Um, and for her, she was fronting and backing um, really incorrectly. And it was because the private SLP educated me so that I could advocate to her school-based SLP who said she didn't qualify to have the goal added to the IEP um, because she was only assessing certain things. And I pointed out, because I was being educated by the private speech, listen to her fronting and backing, she's flipping them, um, that this was the transition from early intervention, no, excuse me, this is the transition from preschool IEP to kindergarten IEP. Hold on. No, that was transitioned from early intervention IEP to um, preschool IEP. Early intervention IFSP to um, preschool IEP. And without the speech goal, she wouldn't have had an IEP.
1: I work in. Which would have then
5: made her not eligible for special education preschool.
1: Mm-hmm. So
5: um, that was an inter- interesting time.
1: I, but- I, I can understand that. I work in the schools and I, I work in home health care as well on, on the weekends and, and the afternoons. And there's a lot of times where I, I speak to other SLPs and I should say that I sit on a state board and I sit as a national rep for school-based SLPs in Ohio. And there are times where where SLPs will email me and ask me about certain things, and a lot a lot of times SLPs will forget to look at phonetic processing, which will be why a student backs or fronts certain sounds. That it's not a developmental
5: mm-hmm. delay;
1: it's an actual de- deficit, as mm-hmm. what you were describing. Yeah, and I will say this: it's really good, and I'm I'm glad that. Uh, uh, Megan and Maddie, you guys exist to educate other parents to be advocates for your kids. Because when you come into an IEP meeting, it's very easy for those of us on the other side—and and I say the side of the school—to kind of—I don't want to say get into a rut, but kind of say, "This is what we're going to do. This is what I see. Here's what we're doing." And we have the best intentions for for your son or your daughter or nephew or niece, but sometimes. We don't know who they are. A lot of times we don't know who they are at home. So its I always tell parents, please become the advocate because you're the only one that can fight for who your child really is at home and what they need.
5: Well, there's a reason our podcast is called Two Rear Mama Bears.
1: <laughs> I, I caught that, and I was a little nervous at first. I was like, oh, we never use the mama bear term at home unless we're about to attack somebody. So
0: We can be very soft and cuddly <laughs> at times. <laughs> but if the mama are-
5: bear needs to come out, yeah, teeth then- and claws are only
0: shown every <laughs> once in a while.
5: And Maddie thought of that idea. I might have <laughs> thought of the podcast, but she came up with the name.
1: Well, and and I guess I should ask this. Do you guys find yourselves in a rare situation, <laughs> rare, sorry, um, where, <laughs> sorry, I'm terrible dad pun today, um, where you find yourselves having to go through everything for the first time with your son or your daughter, with um, Ma- Matthew and Lily, and then having someone reach out through the podcast, asking for advice on a situation that you've not encountered yet or... Something that's still a little too raw and 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 the wound is open still, um, or no, not yet.
5: <laughs> I, you know, we're about forty episodes in on our podcast, and I think we've done a very um, thorough job of inviting guests of different age groups of different stages of life to tell stories that we know we can't tell ourselves yet. Cool. So that, um, like early on, we knew we would need to bring on guests that would um, be able to tell a young adult or transition to college stories, because we, we can't tell those yet. Um, and we knew there was very capable individuals in our community who could tell them and articulate them superbly. Um, and so we did that. Uh, and Patrick, the one you were listening to, um, is one of our most recent episodes. His episode's been super well-received. So being able to just reference back to some episodes and having kind of a historical, if you go listen to episode number, blah, 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 has been helpful when people do reach out to us.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So how did you guys go from parent to parent with a child with CMD to working with the cure cmd.org and and are you guys directly related with that or is that just who they picked up through the podcast or or a little bit of everything
0: a little bit of everything okay right? a lot of it was pretty serendipitous as far as things falling into place and um megan brings a lot of amazing background and skills that help things move smoothly when Matthew was diagnosed, I was like, our neurologist was like, by the way, there's not really anything on the internet because nobody knows anything. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? And she said, well, use Facebook. And I was like, what is Facebook going to tell me? Um, but I did. I used Facebook as a search engine and typed in CEPN1 and um a Cure-CMD group for sepn n one families and individuals popped up and that's how I quote unquote met Megan. I have a cat that's running around my office right now. won't stay out. Um, and that's how I met Megan and then we ended up getting to meet in person at a Cure-CMD conference. Um, her and I kept in contact from there and had the, an email pop up about rare disease week for 2018. And we were like, Hey, mom vacation, let's do
4: this.
0: (laughs) Um, and it just gave us so many resources and just, uh, inspiration to do something. And, uh, when we, like she said, I was trying to get to San Diego for a family event and cure cmd happens to be located in la and so i called my husband before i got there and met him and the kids and was like so during our vacation can we make a trip up to la to like meet with the cure cmd people and talk about this and he did so that ended up being super wonderful being able to go up and be there in person and talk about plans and everything megan's story of getting connected to cure cmd is a little different
5: yeah, um, To just to sideline on what Maddie said, I think when we did um, Rare Disease Week on Capitol Hill, we were both empowered. We were like, if we can go talk to our federal legislators, we can talk to anybody about this topic. So it just made sense that this was going to kind of be the avenue that we were going to head down. Um, the way I got connected to Cure CMD was I work in um, biomedical research at a major research institution in the Midwest. And so I knew that there would be um, registries out there uh, for things like this. And so shortly after Lily was diagnosed, I um, Googled if there was a registry for congenital muscular dystrophies and found it. Registered her and then within a week was being contacted by Cure CMD. And then shortly thereafter was looped into the um, social networks because there's quite a broad web of social networking for um, Cure CMD. And then from there, just started making a bunch of connections, which thank God for that because man, without that, I'm sure I would feel like an island. Um, And then as Maddie said, we got to know each other. I now consider her one of my best friends. Um, we did Capitol Hill. This started.
0: Um, we did Capitol Hill again.
5: Yeah, Maddie and I led a team of 13 to Capitol Hill this last February. Um, and then I'm headed on to the board of directors for Cure CMD. So,
1: Hey, congrats. Now there's
5: another level of involvement.
4: <laughs> this becomes your life.
1: So you mentioned something very, very interesting. You said that it you were out on an island did when you got the diagnosis for your your children and then found the cmd was it really like you were on an island beforehand trying to figure out what was going on with matthew or lily yes yeah. yes
5: In I mean we, capital letters <laughs> really physicians discounting what we were saying not believing us um needing to advocate for ourselves just to try to get to a diagnosis, going through seven or eight different specialists to get to a diagnosis, $35,000 in medical debt of testing. Once we got diagnosis, like Maddie said, you go out and Google it and you don't really find much. And what you do find is so scientific that it flies over the top of your head. You can't translate that as a lay person, right? Right. And for our specific type, the prevalence is so, 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 so rare that to find anyone in your backyard, in your state, it's not going to happen. I now know there's two others in my state, but without Cure CMD, I wouldn't have known that.
1: Is that SEP in one? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. How do you, as a parent, how did you guys keep cool, keep your calm when, when talking with doctors. Uh, I, I, I always use myself as an example. My son, my youngest needed a uh, pretty intense surgery within the first six months of his life. And when the doctor came in while I'm holding my newborn son and, and mentioned something, I was ready to throw her through the plate glass window and then when we were talking with we have since I'm in Cincinnati, we have Cincinnati Children's, one of the best children's hospitals in the area. And we have a surgeon that was one of the top surgeons in the country telling me what he was going to do to my son. And even though he was telling me he was going to help alleviate the problem, all I could think of, he is telling me there's something wrong with my son. And I can't. I, I'm a professional. I'm work with children with disabilities and their families. And even then, I still wanted to put this doctor's head through the wall because it was personal. How did you guys handle that? If if you're okay talking about it, of course.
0: (laughs) Um, For me, early on, I just went, uh, okay because everything felt so I guess kind of numb like it was like I don't know how to process all of this information that's coming at me um, specifically with step n one if you google step in one nocturnal respiratory distress is the first thing that like you read on anything and I'm like wait whoa whoa we're talking about my two-year-old like what does what does that mean um, and so like Megan said when you're are, you know, kind of fighting with doctors going, no, this is an issue. And they're like, well, we don't normally see that in kids this age. Um, it took a lot to not go, I don't really care what you <laughs> think or hear. This is what the research shows for this instance. Um, But at the same time, I, at the time, didn't have the confidence or the knowledge to be like, well, this is what we're doing. I know that this is what you're thinking but this is what we actually need to do and it was through meeting other people and getting involved in the community that i was like wait no my opinion actually is the major one here and what i know about my child and be you know those steps that you kind of go through when you start to advocate for your child it's like no in the last six months we've fired two doctors uh, and. To how old's matthew he's almost six. Oh my goodness so four <laughs> years ago i wouldn't even have like thought that was an option um but now it's it, you i think i get to the point where it's like this is what needs to happen i know wh- how we're supposed to get there you're either on board or you're not here we go <laughs>
1: was it pretty similar megan um
5: We didn't fire a doctor. We just chose not to go back to that one and headed across the state to what we now know to be one of the lead muscular dystrophy doctors in the country. Thank God for that. And then she looped us into an entire interdisciplinary team of people in knew muscular dystrophy. So thank God for that. Um, I would call us lucky to have gotten looped into her, but still that was like two years into it. Um, I would say I wanted to throw the first doctor that we started seeing through a plate glass window (laughs) because he was trying to, um, rule diagnoses in that were so off base. And I could even tell you they were off base. Um, and then once we started seeing the physician that we have now, she was like, okay, like within 10 minutes, she was literally like, it is one of five things. It is for sure muscular dystrophy. It's one of five things and end up being the fifth. And so we were like, thank God. Like, somebody's actually listening to us. Um, so, from that sense, we did not want to throw her through the window. <laughs> um, I, you know, there's a saying out there that once you enter the special needs or the disability world, um, a mother or a parent on a mission does better research than the FBI <laughs> and 100% accurate. Like, You start to find any resource you can, even if there's not much out there. You find any resource you can, and you go head deep, head first, educating yourself on it um, so that you arm yourself. The next time you do go to the doctor and that person throws a curveball at you, you at least have some sort of knowledge so that you can start to advocate for yourself. And I would say at this point, Maddie and I are both to the to the level of if we have a new primary care physician, we're doing the educating of them on what uh, congenital muscular dystrophy is because more than likely they've not ever seen a patient with it.
1: And I was gonna say CMD is relatively rare. Uh, uh, A quick look behind the scenes, you guys are so awesome that you sent me a wonderful listing of things, the kind of information about CMD that would be easier than me trying to Google and do five years of research but it said one in 100,000 births for CMD, is that
5: correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. So you have a wonderful son and a wonderful daughter. They get a very rare disability. How does that change everything? Like I was reading the post about somebody who went on, I, I, by the way, I love your podcast or your Facebook page, facebook.com slash two rare mama bears. And there was the one about, uh, a parent, they went to Minnesota or something to get their son a handicap accessible chair or van and the airline lost, not lose, but sent the wheelchair to Ohio. And 12 hours later, they got their wheelchair. How do you even start preparing? It took me today, I have a six and a two-year-old, it took me 45 minutes just to pack a bag to get my kids out of the house. How does that change your daily routines
5: it's a reality (laughs) i mean um not all of our community are in wheelchairs but the a good portion of them are so what does that mean your uh vehicle is adapted your house is adapted your life is adapted you might travel differently you might choose to drive because you're uh scared that if you put your uh power chair on a plane it's going to get damaged, destroyed, to the point that you can't use it when you get to your destination. Or if you're like the case of that individual, it gets flown to an entirely different destination. And using one of the uh, manual chairs at the airport is not really an option. Mm -hmm. So that individual ended up lying down in a hotel for 12 hours while his his, um, wheelchair was tracked down it is unfortunately a uh true reality that individuals with disabilities are forced to make all kinds of life altering decisions because this world is not suited for their needs as much as we'd like to say ADA has made uh the world better it has there is still room to go
1: you talk about ADA and and i just my heart goes out to you guys as parents because we don't, my, my youngest has got some issues that we've been continuing to work on. I could not imagine, Megan, you were talking about the school SLP or the school system kind of declining in IEP or, uh, is, is Matthew in school age yet? Maddie? He
0: starts kindergarten this year. Oh, good. Yay. So does mine. I
1: feel for you. My heart broke every time I thought about that. (laughs) um, how how do I want to ask this question? I apologize. What suggestions do you guys have for parents or for the SLP on the other side of that table that might look at only test scores or the parent that is so afraid to ask for more help?
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Megan for this because, like <laughs> I said, we're starting kindergarten in September, yeah. so it's a whole new ball game for us.
5: Um, in relation to CMDs, um, do a little bit of research before just seeing what's in front of you. I would almost say for any diagnosis, do a little bit of medical research before seeing what's in front of you and understand that educational goals and needs might and are impacted by the medical diagnoses. For example, common among many of the subtypes or all subtypes of congenital muscular dystrophy is respiratory mask use in daytime and or nighttime, which puts pressure onto the jaw and teeth. That's not something that a school-based SLP would see or know. But what impact does that have on the child and their ability to uh, form words. Well, if there's pressure,
1: oh, of course,
5: on their mm-hmm. and I sound funny because
1: I'm <laughs> emulating a mask. As, as you I was gonna say, as you're showing what the mask looks like on your face.
5: Yeah, if there's pressure on the face, that's gonna start to, uh, you know, reform that that child's jaw after a certain uh-huh. amount of time, and then their articulation's gonna be different, right? Changes well, that's not something
1: What was that? I said it changes that whole oral cavity and, and the location of, of production of sounds. Oh.
5: Right, but that's not something that um, in an educational setting you're gonna know or you're gonna see, but if you did medical, a little bit of medical background uh, research, that's something you would know. So I would say that's something we've seen. I would suggest to an SLP um, could have been better.
1: <laughs> I understand that. And, and and I take no offense to that because as a school-based SLP, you are the parent that I tell the other SLPs that we need to work better for their student or for their child. Sorry, student school. But uh, have you guys... and. I don't want to run out of time. Have either one of your, your son or daughter, Matthew or Lily, looked at any needs for AAC or dysphagia therapy, or are they eating okay and and communicating well enough at this point?
5: We haven't. um, I'm going to assume somewhere in the next three or four years, maybe.
1: Mm -hmm. For which side, the AAC or the, the dysphagia? Dysphagia. Okay.
5: Uh, I believe it is common in some other subtypes of congenital muscular dystrophy um, because dysphagia kind of comes up across many of them, um, as well as fatigue along with it. And that many people run into some swallowing issues. Uh, Respiratory insufficiency is super common among most of the Cure CMD or most of the CMD subtypes. and that's something that I would suggest to an SLP to take into account when trying to assess a child, and not putting a timed component on it, because. What
1: do you mean by that? Um, uh, the time component. I'm a little confused on. I'm sorry.
5: This might be more into. Uh, assessing reading
1: oh okay or if
5: there's a certain amount of um articulation or something that needs to be said in a certain time
1: i yep okay
5: and take into account respiratory function is not going to be conducive to a timed component
1: i understand now i apologize i was like Are we talking about school year or, I see what you meant, like in so many sounds within 60 seconds or our wonderful Mm -hmm. padakas that we sometimes have people do, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Welcome back to episode 90 on the Speech Science Podcast. I'm Matt Hot. Joined from the farthest east to the farthest west, Michael McLeod. What's up, dude? Michelle Wintering. Hi again. And Julie Fector. hey I'm just happy I'm saying everyone's name's right at this point and did my geologically movement correctly. Geographical? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I did it right. I did it right, I think. All right, this next article is coming up out of the ASHA Leader. Uh, what is our exact role with executive functioning? This is something that a lot of SLPs, I feel have a huge weakness in and try to avoid like it's the plague here's the softball for mike go ahead
3: (laughs) i finally get to speak
1: mike (laughs) is our executive functioning guru on the show
3: yeah so this uh this article out of the asha leader asha wire by scott preff cccslp uh it's really just a very uh basic introductory article to executive functioning Listing some specific executive function skills, what to look out for, and a quick paragraph or two on different treatment models. Just like it's, this is a very introductory article. So I think the reason we're seeing this now in the ASHA leader, uh, as opposed to maybe five years before, is a lot of the most current, up-to-date research on executive functioning. And when you think of executive functioning, you should think of ADHD. Uh, an individual with ADHD or ADD uh, will show symptoms of executive dysfunction. So that is your typical disorganization, self-regulation, working memory, uh, and those sort focused attention, those sorts of things. Um, so with executive dysfunction, a lot of the most recent research, uh, and this is brain MRI studies, longitudinal studies, it's really showing at its core it is truly a language issue and this is with the um, one of the most common symptoms and they are they are calling adhd a spectrum disorder nowadays because, are they really yeah what well, well, simply because it's it's so different based on the individual that there's makes not, sense there's not one pure definition of adhd it differs from individual to individual uh, but the one thing they're finding is that true difficulty and lack of internal language or self-directed talk. So the ability to use language internally, uh, use language to self-regulate, self-motivate, organize. uh, uh, The use of having an internal voice is something that creates impulsive behavior, a lack of cause and effect thinking, an inability to plan, an inability to, to project yourself into the future and plan for the future—that uh, is really one of the biggest things that's missing in individuals with uh, executive dysfunction and ADHD. Is it's uh, it truly is a lack of internal language, internal dialogue? Uh, either the volume is down too low on that self-directed talk, or it's completely absent. Uh, so it's a so at its core. It is a language issue. And of course I am an SLP who specializes in executive functions. So I am biased and I do (laughs) this goes 100% under the scope of an SLP, especially with the most current research. But, uh, but that is, those are my two cents.
1: So what kind of, uh, evaluations are you doing?
3: Um, I, I'm not really doing too many evaluations. I, I get a lot of uh, clients that come to me with neuropsych evaluations already completed. Uh, um, in terms of, uh, what I'm able to do, uh, I can certainly have a parent fill out the brief, which is the behavior rating of executive functioning. Uh, it's just a basic, uh, checklist for parents. Uh, I can have them fill out basic checklists and report on it informally in my evaluations, but most people who come to me already have fairly extensive, uh, diagnoses most often are, uh, diagnosed already. Uh, So I'm not really doing too many of the evaluations. I'm usually receiving someone after they are diagnosed.
1: Well, that sounds like cheating, Mike.
3: Well, that's just how it works.
1: (laughs) I do a lot of executive functioning stuff. And the biggest hurdle I get is getting the teachers to buy in on what I'm trying to get the students to do and what what their strategies are to look like in the classroom. But that's usually just a conversation. Michelle or, or Julie, do you guys work or do y'all work with uh, executive functioning too much or no? Uh,
2: Especially if I have middle or high school students who have language deficits. Yeah. We work on working memory. um, And I know that's obviously tied into an executive functioning skill, (laughs) but uh, working memory and organization and uh, when they have overall difficulty just with planning and follow
1: through and all of that. So almost every kid I see at the high school.
2: Yeah. Now here's a question, Mike, you might be able to help me with. I've been hearing these ads recently and I feel like it popped up when I was in Texas on the radio a few times. And then now I'm hearing them in Kentucky about these centers that do brain training stuff. And to me, it sounds like our scope of- Steak oil. Yeah. But I mean, it sounds like our, our scope of practice when we're, they're talking about executive functioning skills. And they're talking about brain training and this is more than tutoring and that kind of stuff in these ads. And I'm just wondering, how do you fight against that to show that how our expertise is important?
3: Yes. So I I think we talked about that on a previous episode, these brain balance centers. Uh, We definitely touched on this uh, in terms of it just not being evidence-based at all. It's just basic tutoring, just basic help with organization. Uh, the more research that's coming out, and with technology growing, there is going to be more research, uh, and diagnoses rates are certainly skyrocketing. Uh, I, what we're seeing is that this is a true disconnection between non-verbal working memory and verbal working memory, and it is a language issue. So the more research done, uh, we're, it's going to continue to show it's an, is- it's, an, it's an issue with language. It's not the it's, it's in the. Uh, inappropriate use of language and a lack of language skills, because you tend to see with executive dysfunction, great difficulty with re- both reading and writing, especially writing. They, uh, in order to take language, internal language, and organize it into properly written language, uh, if you have executive dysfunction and an inability to organize and an inability to uh, uh, inhibit your impulses, you're going to have great difficulty with written language. So that's another thing that's pretty common with ADHD is a difficulty with reading and writing. So, uh, the more research that's done, the more it's going to fall under our scope. I I really believe that.
2: Okay. Yeah. Cause I guess when I I hear these ads and then I even pulled up one of the websites because I was curious what they, you know, they use the buzzwords on these advertisements, but what are they actually doing? And the one that really threw me off is where it said, um, speech and language disorders. And I was like, Whoa, 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 Whoa.
3: yeah Back that's, up a that's not good that's not good i i've seen a lot of that on facebook recently uh apparently there's a lot of aba therapists uh presenting <laughs> at and uh are presenting at asher this year and there's a big uh like boycott uh to a lot of their sessions with aba infringing so much on speech so this is just another uh another group we have to fight against
2: interesting yeah
1: yep i I will say something off air because I like my current employment. So I'll say whatever I was going to say right off the air. We want to hear from you. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com and email us speechscience podcast at gmail.com. Quit smiling at me, Michelle. Phone number six one four six eight one one seven nine eight or hashtag SS Pod. I want to end on a happy note, guys. I, like smiling. I feel like this I like episode <laughs> has been I feel like this episode has been a lot of stress. A lot of infringing on our abilities. And by the way, if you feel that there's an infringement in your scope of practice, I urge you to report it to the state and make sure that it at least gets written down somewhere, I guess. Um, Michelle, you're hippotherapy trained. You can uh, hang out with hippos and horses. And I figured this article <laughs> would be perfect for you. Uh, this is coming out of Palace Hills, Illinois. There's a new therapy horse named Fahey, and he's helping military members and first responders in the southern suburb. Look, happy news,
2: guys. Oh, my gosh, Matt. I said you're just pulling oh. at my heartstrings. You're You've got horse therapy
1: helping military and firefighters, which are both in my family. I wanted but... to end the show on a good note. <laughs> Julie, do you do anything with therapy animals?
4: Um. No, I No. <laughs> when there's a dog, I, I like say hi to it and hug it a lot. So that's pretty much. All.
1: See, that's the therapy dog. Mike, do you do anything with therapy animals? I do not.
2: Have you all seen different airports
1: are using therapy animals too? So I read a thing this week, or I was watching a thing this week and it said that Southwest airlines is allowing, like, you're allowed three therapy animals per person onto the flight. And the question was, was like, how many therapy animals are too many therapy animals to fly with?
2: uh do they get a seat because that's that's a lot of carry-on space
1: i don't they said that they could max out at like therapy ponies so i don't know (laughs) miniature horses So
4: (laughs) little sebastian wouldn't be let on this plane
1: i still don't understand little sebastian me and ben are the only two that don't get it i I don't i don't parks and rec parks and rec
2: oh i'm I'm probably not that (laughs) far into it i only recently started watching it
1: it's awesome All right, so I figured we'd end on that happy note. Guys,
2: well, I will say Matt though, so quick distinction so that our listeners know, but his yes. therapy is specifically OTPT or speech therapy. Um so Oh really? doing therapy one of our three therapies utilizing the movement of the horse versus therapeutic riding which anyone and everyone can benefit from. Um not just if you need OTPT or speech. So little distinction but it's pretty important.
1: Last week, we talked about surfing therapy. This week, horses, I'm on board with whatever, I guess, at this point. Surfing okay
4: horses. It. Bam.
1: <laughs> hey, you're in Seattle. Find a beach. Everyone, yeah, uh, all of us are all landlocked. <laughs> yeah. You're the till Till the polar ice caps melt. All right. So... Let's end here. Let's as always, we want to find out what's exciting happening up in the upcoming week for me. uh, I've got four day work week and I'm taking a personal day because guess what? It's nerd week here in Cincinnati and you can find me working the admissions area at the Cincinnati comic expo. So I'm pretty excited by that. Uh, And I'll get to see all the behind scenes and help maybe with a costume contest.
3: Mike, what are you looking forward
1: to or doing this week?
3: uh pretty much pretty much the same old. just uh just continuing with uh with with some of my some of my new students uh really following through on on building their treatment plans and making sure they're implemented correctly from the get-go uh collaborating with a lot of other professionals as well you know your typical uh september routine of making sure that things are going smoothly in the beginning
1: fair enough michelle
2: uh evals for new patients and re-evals for the patients i've had for a little while now and doing some co-treatments with an occupational therapist who I'm learning from and really enjoying that, especially for our kiddos with, uh, autism spectrum.
1: Awesome. And then Julie, you get to either promote something you want to promote or tell us what's happening this week or beg for a new job up to you.
4: Can I just do all of them? Come on.
1: Go for it. Go for it.
4: (laughs) Um, well, let me just promote my personal Instagram because I'm amazing. Um, but I mean, I actually don't even talk much about speech stuff on there. I do occasionally talk about Parkinson's since that is my specialty and the love of my life, it's looking like. Um, <laughs> 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 no men right now, currently. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, um, so it's just julie.355.weekend, and I'm very entertaining on my stories. I bake a lot. But also, this week, I'm really excited. I'm actually going on a, a different podcast to talk about which I'm, like like I said, the love of my life, and I'm going to go back to my Parkinson's boxing class on Saturday. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to go see Hustlers, because apparently J-Lo is fantastic
3: in
1: it. So I have AMC A-list, so that's going to be one of my movies that I see in the next couple of weeks.
4: I've heard that her uh, pole dance is Oscar winning.
1: Okay, maybe I won't be telling my wife about that then. <laughs>
4: It sounds awesome. Well, I'm, I'm a big supporter of uh, promoter of women, so I really try to uh, support women driven films, women driven businesses, and things like that. So I'm into it. I'm going to go do that.
1: Awesome. Women. I've What's heard the other great
2: thing about the, about the boxing classes for Parkinson's patients? That sounds awesome. Is this a
1: real thing? I just thought yeah. it was a
2: joke. No, yeah. real thing. Yeah,
4: there's Rocksteady. Mine isn't Rocksteady, and it's not mine. I just emailed them and was like, Hey, can I come help? Because uh, I also have a private practice, like Michael, and it's specializing in Parkinson's. And I'm trying to meet more people in the area since they don't always get referrals. And super awesome, though. Like, I went to a fundraiser yesterday, and multiple people I boxed with were there. And it's just, it's, I'm trying to form a community with these people who I really want to help. But also, they're just lovely human beings. So. And we do vocal exercises while they box, which means I'm boxing with them and I'm like drenched in sweat. And that's a pretty picture that people
1: don't see since this podcast. That is, that sounds like a whole lot more fun than trying to crawl around in clothes, like dress clothes and play with uh, barnyard animals.
4: Yes, actually, my mom was like, Julie, you bet your practice better start picking up putting in so much time to this I'm like mom it's not that much time to drive to a boxing gym and work out with people and then come home I'm not gonna let her listen to this apparently (laughs) but (laughs) like that's not work to me so
1: well, Julie, thank you for joining the three of us this week. We hope you come back because that offer is always open.
4: Abby, every, every <laughs>
1: There we go. And then you at home, make sure you head over to our website, uh, speechsciencepodcast.com. Email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on the Patreon. There's still a couple of weeks. Top donors, I might take you to the Disney dinner place of my choice also uh, phone call 614-681-1798 and what's the Instagram over there
2: hashtag SS pod
1: also please rate and review us five stars that helps us stay on the air and more people find us Uh, our opening music tonight is please listen carefully by Jazar it's licensed under an attribution and share alike license our bump music is the county fair rock copyright of John Deku find all of his music at soundcloud.com slash dirt dog music and our closing music playing right underneath of us That's The Slow Burn by Kevin MacLeod. It's licensed under Creative Commons Attribution License. And the immortal words of Janice Wright, always be a willow because in life, if you are the oak, you will crack. The willow will bend and return to form. For Julie Fector, Michael MacLeod, Michelle Wintering, I'm Matt Hott. Until next week, so long, everybody.
2: Adios. Bye. This has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and
0: subscribe to our podcasts anywhere you get your podcasts.